spent so much of my 20s caring what people thought. And so mine was like, it's okay to be polarizing. Not everyone is going to like you or what you do. And, you know, kind of weed that, weed those people out. You don't need them but love the shit out of the people that do in a personal like in a personal context in a professional context because so much of why I'm able to live the life that I do is because of the people that support me and the people around me I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline the podcast These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched offline in September 2018. It started as a podcast and thanks to your ongoing support, it turned into a movement. Today, offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are and how to live, create, and succeed in alignment with that. This is our true self. There's the podcast, a series of online courses I've created with our collective needs in mind, and experiences that allow us to connect as a community. Visit getoffline.co to find out more, or follow getoffline.co on Instagram. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. Chloe Brinklow calls herself a battler, but I can confirm she is quite the opposite of one. She grew up on Sydney's central coast, and she's everything a perfect surfer girl should be. Salty hair, cute freckles, and an appetite for adrenaline that makes you want to throw it all in and join her on the wild ride she calls life. She's the founder and editor of online beauty destination Tomboy, and she's also a leading digital specialist, talent manager, and brand strategist. She tends to lose things a lot, like her passport, but she isn't lost. She's actually one of the most together women I know. Here's Chloe and I for Offline. And P.S. I actually left the comfort of my lounge room for this one. Hello. Hi, Val. (laughs) Um, We are recording from your bedroom in New York. I know, wild, right? I can't believe you're here. I know. Um, Can you actually describe your bedroom for me? Okay, so my bedroom is, so I'm a a minimalist. I'm a less is more girl and I live with Zanita Whittington, who is a maximalist. So if you compare our two bedrooms, they probably couldn't be more different and that's... (laughs) And that's what I love about our living arrangement. So mine, I basically have all white walls, a large mirror, uh, a bed with some really beautiful linen and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) And some crystals. Well, we have our crystals out on the bed, which I've taken some photos of. But then Z's room is like a four-poster bed and this like amazing bright rug and a green couch and lots of space prints and it's yeah we're definitely two very opposite people in aesthetics but it really works you've got the candles going I can see your books everything everything (laughs) actually the top book you gave me 
damn good advice, not that kind of girl, modern romance. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm, it's a varied reading stack. Um, we will get to your New York chapter soon, but let's start on the Central Coast. <laughs> it's very far away from where we are now, but you grew up there. Yeah, I did. So I grew up in a place called Copacabana. Much of my upbringing, I thought very much. Like you want to be like a Latina Galadas? No, no. Like most. Well, like sure. <laughs> But most of my upbringing, I thought Barry Manilow's song about at the Copa. Copa oh, it's Copa. that song. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure, I like Peter Gladys. But no, I actually thought that was about my town, which is honestly like a one road in, one road out town, um, like seaside suburb where you get about, I don't know, like in no shoes and denim cutoffs and bikini tops. So probably not so dissimilar to the Copacabana Barry Manilow <laughs> singing about, but maybe just not as glamorous. And what was it like growing up in, I guess, like a small coastal town? Uh, I mean, heaven. And I often think as I'm making the lifestyle choices that I am and spending time in New York and big cities, I can't actually picture bringing up a family here. That's so interesting. Because as much as – so the thing about the Central Coast is – and there's actually a lot of people in our industry from the Central Coast. Which I've always found just completely quite bizarre. But do you think – because I'm from a small town too, shout out Camden. <laughs> do you think we just have more hustle and desire? I, th- I think there's there's this thing where – with the Central Coast, it's like an hour and a half commute, maybe two hours to the city, which makes you close enough to know that it's there and that it exists and and to want it. Um, but it's far enough away that you've kind of got to work harder to get there as well. So it's this like good combination of like far enough away that you want to, you kind of want to get out of your town and see what's outside of your postcode. But it is still within reach because it's not like a plane ticket. Like, you know, when I hear girls that are like flying from Perth to do internships and stuff, I'm like, wow, cool. I want to hire you when you're done because. I mean, please call us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please, please, please. And like the girls, you know, Ella, who works for me, and maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but um, she flew herself down from Byron Bay and literally said to me, I'm interning for you for the next three months. And. I said, well... How do you say no to that? Well, and I kind of was like, well, no, I don't believe in that because I I really want to empower younger girls and they need to know their value. But at that point in my business, I couldn't afford to pay her. But so she did. She came and interned for me and she made herself invaluable in the business and then now she's a full-time employee. And also basically an angel. Yeah, (laughs) a little baby angel. A little angel walking the face of the earth. Um, you are very close to your family. I know your parents are a really important part of your life and your brother too, brothers. Um, can you tell me about them and your relationship? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love my family more than anything in the world. Um, we're very, I'm probably, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm the black sheep in the family because they're really proud of everything that I've done, but I think I've probably taken a, um, a approach to life that they didn't expect. You know, often 
you know, my dad's my best friend. Um, he'll often tell people that Tomboy Beauty is named after him because his name's Tom. <laughs> like, <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> I'm like, I'll let you date that, but no. Um, you know, I they're really working class people. Um, my dad has is probably my biggest inspiration. He left school when he was in year eight and a lot of that had to do with um, having to provide for his younger brother and sister or half brother and sister um but he kind of has always worked multiple jobs um put us through private school when mum wanted us to go to a private school and by doing that it was like three jobs and then kind of like when all of us grew up and left school and he didn't have that responsibility he went back to school and um I watched him get his degree um which was a bachelor of adult education Um, And that was kind of right as I was entering the workforce and to see someone that, you know, had nothing growing up, has worked so hard all his life and for him education was really important and I think it was just something that he wanted to be able to be like, yeah, I have a degree and he just went and did it and he did that by he put himself through uni and he was working his full-time job and then would just go and do night school and study on the weekends and Um, I mean, I don't have as big a um, emphasis on education. I didn't finish my degree. I actually left when I had two subjects to go. Why? Because I was offered my first entry-level role in magazines when it was still really hard to to get a job in magazines. There'd be maybe like one or two jobs offered entry-level a year. And I'd interned the whole way through my degree, so the whole like two and a half years. And um, from that internship I was offered the role as editorial coordinator at InStyle and I kind of waited up and I just really wanted to get in and um, I deferred and just never went back. And Will you ever complete it? No. Mm. I mean – Two I, subjects, I was like, can't I learn enough? <laughs> and, I mean, for me, uni – I get if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, like uni is something you need to do to actually be able – to to be that I think in terms of communications and I don't want to sound like an anti-education person because everyone's different but I learned so much more from my internships on the job yeah well and just from like meeting people and like even not you know you're on set with a makeup artist who has like a really interesting perspective on things and like that has helped me progress further in my career than it's you know school of life Mm. I um that's a great book What's oh. his name? Elaine de Bolton. De Bolton. I've never read it. <laughs> I'm going to give you that book. Okay. Um, <laughs> part of what I'm hoping to achieve with this podcast is um, is education mm-hmm. and how do we as sort of um, empowered, strong and like, you know, we're deemed successful. I mean, the definition that is success right now, I think we fit that. So part of it, I guess, is also like new definitions of success, which I think totally. is interesting. But also for young women that might be listening or any woman really, how can we give ourselves more um, opportunity through education perhaps so that we can choose? Because mm. I think so much of what we're seeing right now is these lives lived on Instagram mm-hmm. um, and they're not real, you know, and it looks a very particular way. And, you know, people always ask me like, oh, how did you get where you are? And, oh, you're so successful. And, oh, you know all these things. And it's like... Because I I went to school and I interned just like you for free for a really long time and I took jobs that I didn't like and I worked in jobs that 
I was just like, fuck, this is like, can't be my path. This can't be, yeah. you know. Um, but it's interesting because at uni and I was the same studied journalism, I think I had the advantage of like the University of Western Sydney, which I think is now called something else. <laughs> it was called that when I went there, but now it's called Western Sydney University. Anyway. Oh, that's weird. It was amazing because all of the lecturers were still practicing journalists. Yeah, that's cool. So the experience that you got perhaps on the job, I feel like I actually got practical experience at uni, but it's not always the case because it's no. so textbook heavy. Well, and, and for me particularly, I went to the University of Newcastle and because it's a regional uni, um, a lot of the lecturers were still practicing as well, but it was in like local news or newspapers or radio journalism, which – not quite fashion. <laughs> it, it wasn't fashion. And I, at that point, was hell-bent on, like, my career trajectory and, like, what I had set out for myself was I was going to be the editor of a magazine. Wow. Which is so funny because now you couldn't pay me <laughs> to be the editor of a, a print Same. publication. <laughs> Which, and <clears throat> nothing again. I have a huge respect for the women that have achieved oh, 100%. That. I think we're just very realistic about the state of the media industry yeah. at the moment. It's like... <laughs> exactly. Um, so again, on this piece on being sort of these strong, empowered women and how old are you? I'm 30 forever. (laughs) I'm actually 31, but I I tell everyone I'm 30. That is the best years. I've just turned 33 and I'm just living for it. (laughs) Oh, like I was just so confused in my twenties. Let me tell you, I'm sure you felt it too, but honestly, the day of my 30th birthday, my party that you attended was the week right, earlier. You're amazing, Dad, and had the most amazing <laughs> conversation. Um, it was a week earlier. So I sort of had this week come down of sorts from my birthday party where I celebrated turning 30. And I had this week to kind of look back on my 20s and kind of, you know, say goodbye to them in a way. And then I woke up on my 30th birthday and it was like a switch mm. turned on. And I was like, I know who Chloe Brinklow is. And I actually really like her. And it was kind of like all of that self-doubt and self-loathing. I mean, sure, that still exists, Mm. but it just was like the dimmer was turned down on that. And it was like, cool, let's do this. I just wish I had that perspective in my 20s that, you know, I guess the old, if the older Alison could say something to the younger Alison, like you're not always going to feel this type of pain. Yeah. And the internal dialogue is going to change. Yeah. And... You're it's gonna, coming like this isn't it yeah you're you're gonna start having really great conversations with yourself mm. and um I think for me we actually ran a piece on tomboy that you contributed to and it was what advice would you give your 18 year old self and mine was I spent so much of my 20s caring what people thought and so mine was like it's okay to be polarizing not everyone is gonna like you or what you do and you know kind of weed that Weed those people out. You don't need them, but love the shit out of the people that do in a personal, like in a personal context, in a professional context, because so much of why I'm able to live the life that I do is because of the people that support me and the people around me. Um, and I kind of wish I knew to where to put my energy mm. in terms of those relationships in my 20s that I've very much figured out now. And oh, my God. I so relate to that. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to know what um, what experiences, and this is kind of broad, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, what experience, like when we when we think about how we've developed sort of our moral codes and compass and our value set and, you know, how we are in the world and our character, right? Like mm-hmm. you're an interesting person and I feel like we – we can just talk and talk and talk and we can go everywhere from politics to business to relationships to what experiences have shaped you? Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Okay. I know it's broad, but I feel like we don't talk enough about our stories. No, that's that's very true. And I think like a lot of the time it's like this focus on, well, how did you get started on the in the industry? And how did you get from this job to this job? And, and like, that's cool, Mm. but that doesn't, it's not additive though. If I'm completely honest, like we all interned for free (laughs) (laughs) like and it was shit, (laughs) but next, like, let's Mm. talk about things about the work ethic and where does the work ethic come from? It's the values. Where do the values come from? Like you're successful. And I think as a, as someone who climbs the ranks in any job, the reason you're successful is because of who you are. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, yeah, I mean, the definition of success, we can touch on that as well because I don't consider myself successful, but I do know the oh. reason. <laughs> well, not yet. Like, give me time. Um, I think I learned really early on, and I don't talk about this very much, but um, I experienced great loss really early on in my life. When I was seven, um, my older brother died tragically um, mm. three days before Christmas, and that obviously has an effect on who you are and how you approach life. So I kind of from really early on and because I have such a great family around me um, got that taste of life is short Mm. and um, kind of like you just have to give it your all and if you want things like go for them because you don't really know um, how long you've got. And we spoke about this recently and I appreciate you sharing something so personal. <laughs> we didn't expect that to <laughs> We're so early in. Yeah. Maybe it's the jet lag. I think it's, it's probably jet lag. Plus, I told no, you I there's an like, energy thing in New York. Like, it just comes at you. Well, this isn't the first time I've cried. Do you want me to go get podcast. some tissues? No, it's fine. Um, but we were talking about this recently because I, I relate to the loss in that. I think we get so like, hold on, we get so busy, like being busy. Yeah. And that it becomes his badge. How are you? I'm good. Oh, so busy. Like how's work? Oh, good. It's so busy. And it's like. Boring people are busy. Oh, fucking hell. (laughs) That is such a good thing. Yeah. Having experienced sudden loss as well. It's like the ability for that to shape perspective Mm. is it's so um, vicious and cruel actually the way yeah. that it, it gets you to sort of see with open eyes. Yeah. And that part of it I find well, I found very unfair. Yeah. You know, for particularly for my husband. But um but it's just been this complete eye opener of life as well that yeah. says like sitting, whether it be at an event, at my desk, answering hundreds of emails, talking about how busy I am. This can't be it. hundred Like this cannot be it. And if yeah. that's the definition of success, then yeah. We have a long way to go. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think because for me, like, 
work is is like an amazing part of my life and it does like it is you know who I am and whatever um when I think about success like or or trying to intellectualize like my experience I get to work with some of my best friends on a daily basis and to be able to do that be creating amazing stuff that you're proud of taking home a paycheck cool but then the fact that I get to do it with the people I love and the people you respect and the people I respect that to me is like on like that's tier one success then the other stuff's like good and like you need to have it obviously but um yeah I guess probably because of those experiences early on in my life I learned the things that I value and what are important to me and that is you know my relationships and um being able to combine them is really valuable. Well, that's actually a good segue into my next question because I feel like you have this really unique ability to quickly relate to people. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Mm. Like I feel like you can find common ground quite quickly, which I know is one way to have a great conversation. And yeah. that's the thing is like just ask more questions and ask people about themselves. Like people love yeah. talking about themselves totally. ultimately. But I do find that, you know, we could be in any room and – with anyone of any sort of level, whether it be a big media boss or a big influencer or the intern. Yeah. And I think we are actually kind of similar in that way too, mm. that we don't really see the labels. A hundred percent. Or the roles. I mean, I don't know where it comes from, but something that I think, I don't want to say I pride myself on, but I know it's a part of me is I don't have an ego. I think you should pride yourself on that. Um. It doesn't – I just think ego is such an interesting drive – I don't know, driver for some people and I just don't have it. I think it's interesting that you say that um, I can relate to lots of different people because actually one of my best friends at home – I often in my hometown I'm quite polarising – um, for whatever reason, and one of my friends said, it's because you're so unrelatable. Like you have this lifestyle where at a minute's notice you'll like jump on a plane and be like, oh, wow, I lost my partner passport. Now I live in New York. And, um, you know, you talk about dates you go on with people that lives, live in penthouses, but it's like equally when I'm home at the coast, like the last boy I dated was a, a bricklayer. Yeah. Like so I think by being, I don't know, maybe by being – able to relate to lots of people that makes me unrelatable to some I'm not that's sure a really interesting perspective I guess and that's like my thing too is like well that's their lens yeah that's through their lens looking at you exactly. through their lens which is very different to people that know. people that don't know you and I see this all the time and I think even in terms of how we like perceive girls with on social media or like the work that they're doing and they'll be so judgmental and it's like, oh, she's this or she's that or he's this or he's that. And it's like you don't actually know them. Mm. How about you have a conversation with them? Like most – I think a lot of people would think that I um, have this huge ego and mm. if you don't know me because, yeah, I have a really cool shiny life on Instagram mm. but I am very open with my family and friends about – the struggle that is like the life that I don't know if I'm going on a tangent well, is that here a choice for you in because part of what I'm interested in for this podcast is do we have a duty of care for women in 
uh, influential uh, perhaps like roles or an industry, do we have a duty of care to show more? And like context view is some people have said yes and some people have said no. Like is that a conscious decision for you to keep private private and curate in a way for Instagram? Or I mean, yes and no. Like there is – I think absolutely we have a duty of care to be more real and I think through the Tomboy Beauty platform we're kind of taking it in a way that we're like offering so many different perspectives on, you know, things that are really relevant right now. And like for example – during Pride Month, we had several contributors and it wasn't – there was no brief. It was just people in the LGBTQI plus community offering their perspective on something to do with their place in the world. And I think by doing things like that on the platform is important because it gives a level of relatability and realness to people that can't find it in many mm. media platforms but it helps people see themselves through your content which we don't often do exactly very a very good job of and then from a personal perspective on instagram i mean i'm pretty like yes my photos are filtered and thoughtful and visually intelligent like i that's just part of what i do i have a taste level that i have built a brand on but the message behind them is often like I'm the first to tell people that I locked myself out of the house or ran out of petrol and then... Ha- Why do you have such bad luck? I don't think it's bad Chloe's got a self-documented it's- history of losing important things like her passport or forgetting her laptop charger or running out of petrol. While I'd always put it down to bad luck, she actually brought forward a really interesting perspective on how we all operate in the world. And it has to do with our left and right side brain hemispheres. For the record, left is logic and right is creativity. Thank you, Google. Um, I'm not really interested in being diagnosed and being medicated for that. But I just know that my brain is very... It's it's kind of... I don't know. Active. Active, yeah. Overstimulated. And I have an ability to like look forward and like big picture stuff that then things like, I don't know, in the detail, taking the passport off the plane when you arrive in New York, Ah, kind of overlooked that one. Or like, you know, often Zanita and I will be like going down to do our washing in our laundromat, which is in the basement of our building. She's like, you've got the key, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll have the key, but then I'll go back to get the washing powder and I'll leave the key there. And then we're like calling a locksmith. So yeah, I'm just... It's not bad luck. I just think my brain doesn't – it's not the menial, but it's just, like, basic stuff. Yeah. My brain's – detail. Yeah. My brain's not yeah. great. Yeah. But then I am, like, really in the detail from, like, a visual mm. perspective. Like, I'm a really good editor. I can see how things flow together, um, What what is missing. Like, if I'm on set, I know, you know, what needs to be adjusted. We what, just can't be – good or perfect at everything you know I what i mean maybe like it's like right and left brain mm. like i wish that i could i just listened to the oprah will i am um podcast and he was described as like the best of both like right and left and i wish i just had a little bit of whatever the logical yeah. one is but i wish i, I could speak to that i actually don't know which part of that like <laughs> if i'm left or right or... i think you're i think you'd be similar to will i am in that that is <laughs> Very <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, yes. Like I truly, I call you the Australian Oprah. You know this. <laughs> yes. But I, I do think that you know, 
I'm pretty familiar with the work that you do and read your writing and see what you create from a visual perspective across all of your brands that you definitely have that creative side but then I also know how in it you are business-wise and strategically and oh I'm an operator yeah you're an (laughs) operator for sure um I think we actually quickly bonded when I think about when we first got to know each other we both had sort of a shared desire to try and I guess rewrite the culture of women's lifestyle media 100%. Um, you know, I could talk all day about why that's important to me, but it's actually part of the reason I'm doing the podcast. But um, why is that? Or why was that important to you now? Because I do believe we've – and it's not just you and I, but like – Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you no. and I. But I do, I do think there's the shift is has happened. Yeah. And that's a collective of people working hard on that. I think for me, and like perhaps this is – selfish maybe it's not but I just didn't want anyone to go through what I went through and I'm not saying that in like oh I had such a terrible time um you know I started at the bottom of the rung and I actually had great mentors like Kerry McCallum was my editor and at times it did feel like a little bit devil wears prattery like I she was hard on me to which I'm so thankful for because it's made me um resilient resilient but also like she she was a very good manager she was hard on me but she wasn't cruel but there was other things happening around me other people in the industry that were cruel and I experienced that and I just didn't I didn't want anyone to go through that um which kind of brings me to like for the first couple of years that I was in magazines like I wasn't allowed to do anything I wasn't I wasn't writing I wasn't even styling beauty pages I was literally just like I was called editorial coordinator but I was just like this admin person you were coordinating all the things I was coordinating the things and that's great that was my title um but I think about all the ideas I had then which I've applied to my own business so kind of you know everything does happen for a reason and suckers <laughs> um but I I I you know Ella for example who works for me is 21 years old she does not have a degree, but she's an incredible photographer. She has an eye. Um, her, she's so talented. She, she's, you know, can rise to any occasion. I'm like, hey, we're going to do a video series. So you know how to edit video? She's like, no, but sh- cool. What's the deadline? Give you 24 hours. And it's mm. like, why the hell would I have someone like that who is keen and wants to learn and has an eye and, you know, like she's not a writer but her writing is developing every day because she just Mm. goes for it. So why would I have her doing photocopying and scheduling meetings, which of course she does, like that's part of her role. Why would I just have her doing that? Like can't we empower? Well, this is the whole thing is when I started in women's coming from a more traditional journalism background, I was like – appalled at um at the some of the women who were in those senior roles their um how threatened they felt yeah that's that's, and that's where it comes from it's it's power because the moment you empower and transfer that to you know the women around you and younger people you automatically put yourself and your own job on the line totally i do it every single day yeah you know but that's our job is to train our successes but also have people better than us 
around us because we're always going to be like the vision, right? Yeah. And I think you also do a really good job of tying it up in a bow and that's a skill and I can't probably talk too articulately about that but I know I have that in me too where I I see myself as the audience and the client Mm. and it's really hard to take yourself as a creative out of the creating. Yeah. And put that other sort of hat on, but um, but allowing people to give it a go. Yeah. And I always say it's like time on the field. Like the re- the the way you become a good writer is by writing a lot. Yeah. No. <laughs> exactly. Know? It's that practice makes perfect peace. But also, yeah, on the threatened thing, like I just, it's dumb because I'm not threatened by Ella or Matilda. Like you know, I have Matilda Dodds contributing to Tomboy Beauty, and she is. She's a model represented by IMG. She kind of, if I think about who the tomboy beauty muse is, um, for lack of a better word, it's a combination of Matilda and Ella. Like they're just mm, these. So cool. Well, they're just young and beautiful, but that's not what it's about. They just are so like interested, curious, like campaigners for things they believe in. And like Matilda, I read her stuff and I'm like, she's a better writer than me and she's probably written like five articles in her life and I've been doing this for like close to 10 years but I'm not threatened by that because no one can be me Mm. no one has my brain I can't be Matilda I can't be Ella I can't be you we all in this creative space have a different offering and trying to compete with anyone on that level is just dumb because well, I have this thing I... Chloe and I have often discussed creative plagiarism, a problem at all ends of our industry, but that also seems to be a constant in digital. I wanted to understand her view on social media as a vehicle for impersonation and how that makes us feel. Anything it adds value. And you know, we um, we both know Jeannie. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to episode one, please go and do that now. Um, who's of course, like a shared healer of ours. Mm-hmm. And any time I'm in that space and that energy where I know either if I feel like I'm being a bit impersonated mm-hmm. or the work we're doing is being ripped off and maybe we don't have the marketing team or the budget or yeah. whatever it might be, you know, she's taught me that my challenge is to stay in high vibrational frequency yeah. Even when that stuff is happening, yeah, that says that's okay, good for you, that's okay. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. I'll keep going. Yeah, I'll do more, and I'll keep showing you. Yeah, originality. I, and- I mean, yeah, Jeannie has definitely helped me with that piece as well. But I think I've kind of I used to get really stuck in it. Like when I um, right when I launched Tomboy Beauty, it was a pretty like it. I don't think there is a publication like Tomboy Beauty anywhere else. I'd agree with that. Um, from a branding perspective, from an aesthetics perspective, but just also our voice in the beauty space. And like when I launched, another publication had shot a big celebrity and they actually seeded an article to The Telegraph about how that celebrity was a tomboy using the language. And it was just so clear to me that that was trying to own a bit of our brand and it, tore me up inside like I must have lost a week or two of energy about how could someone do this to me like you know I've spent so long building this brand but I kind of got to a point where it was like it's more of a reflection of the like if you're in front 
if people are copying you, you're always in front. And it comes back to that piece is like, no one can be me. My brain is mine. The ideas inside of it are uniquely my own. Even if you want to copy it, it's never going to be the same. So I've gotten to a place where I just like don't give that stuff any energy. And and maybe it is because I'm now removed from it. Like, I- Well, I actually was going to ask you about that. Like being in New York now, how has that changed your perspective in that? It's just – it's a – Obviously, it's a bigger city. It's a bigger market. Yeah, how has that changed the way you think think about business? I mean, obviously, like in from the business perspective, you – so when you think about how money is – or budgets are sort of divided from HQ then into other markets, obviously it has a lot to do with like the size of the market – and, you know, being in the US, it's usually the biggest market. And so there's a lot more access um, so to budgets more. and opportunity. And you yeah. can work on things on a larger scale. Um, so from a business perspective, that's been – I mean, I always knew that existed because I've always had global clients, whether it be through Tomboy Beauty or the consultancy and the talent that I manage. So I, I do know about the disparity and, like, how budgets are cascaded down. And unfortunately, because Australia is such a small market, they trickle. Oh, I know go down um a little slice of the pie (laughs) (laughs) but so like that's been incredible from a creative perspective having more access to money to do great things um like bigger production budgets and that sort of thing but then on uh um more of a like maybe personal personal level self-esteem level i feel like yeah i mean i just find in smaller markets where there's less money to share around it's a lot more competitive and I don't mean that in a positive way. I mean that in a people aren't as inclined to help each other or, you know, like we have an incredible relationship where anything that I do that I'm proud of on Tomboy, if it's a fit for your websites, you'll syndicate it or Mm. I will try and get, you know, extra photos that I can give to you exclusively when I've shot someone great to then like help you guys in return on like you know we've featured each other's talent on our platforms but that's rare Mm. like and that's dumb it's so disappointing really ultimately I feel like it's such a shame that that's rare like look at two of the biggest um and first websites here man repeller and into the glass the amount of times I've seen Leandra on into the glass or Emily on man repeller and it's like they're basically competing for the Mm. same budgets yes one's fashion one's beauty um or were I don't even know how into the gloss is monetized anymore I know that glossier is kind of their thing but um there's there's no like they're supporting each other by cross-promotional cross-pollinating the content by supporting each other it's only building them up that could because I think we've made we've made some strong steps in our market to do that yeah you guys have led the way for oh, thank sure. you. Um, but I definitely know working with US brands, um, that's how they grew is by yeah. working together. So we still have a lot – we have a long way to go and still a lot to learn. Mm. I do wonder whether that could also transfer into the influencer space as well because yeah. that can be very territorial too and like is yeah. there a world where – sort of cross-pollinating and collaborating on audience. Like we all have duplicated audiences. Like that's a real thing. Yeah. Um, But we can exchange. I mean, I think um, the YouTubers do it well. Like, you know, I and I think that's, (laughs) I mean, 
in terms of audience share, they've got more audience than any blogger, really, mm. and far more engaged, like subscribers getting a notification in their email every time a new video goes up and you look at the views on those videos and, like, someone like Chloe Morello is so unthreatened and so supportive of girls coming through that, you know, they she has girls on her channel all the time or she'll be on other girls' channels. Like, her and Lauren used to do a lot of collaborations when they were both in Sydney and I would love to see that in the fashion and beauty space, like, you know, not on YouTube in the way that we do things. And it does happen. Like, I mean, for example, we did a collaboration with Tresemme during Fashion Week and it was – I was a creative director, um, Zanita Whittington, who is my roommate um, and who is an incredible photographer, shot and Carmen Hamilton was the talent. So, like, those sort of things. But, like, why aren't we doing more of that? Oh, man, I know. Um, do you think, um, you know, back to that piece on – sort of Instagram being highly stylized mm. and, you know, really is a highlight reel yeah. most of the time. Do you think we have an incapacity to have like show imperfection? Do you think that's happening right now? I think, I think yes, obviously that's definitely happening. But then there's cool little messages popping up here, there and everywhere that I think people are revolting against that. Like, um, Lauren Curtis the other day. Um, Lauren Curtis is the leading Australian YouTuber. She's got a huge audience, as you know, but for people that don't. Um, she posted a photo of her in a bikini side by side and it wasn't an edited shot, but it was just showing how she angled her body in one that you could see like stretch marks and in the other she'd angled her body a certain way just to be out of the light and she didn't. And, you know, her audience, she knows that her main audience is that like 13 to mm. 18 year old then the next um thing so like a lot of young women are looking at her and she called that out and I was like oh and like this is to like 1.8 million followers or however many she has and I'm like but what you just did then is you sighed with relief and that's what we all oh, do collectively sigh like, yes. thank fuck you're normal too yeah, yeah. and and I think those girls, like that's why YouTubers are, have such highly engaged audiences because they're not as, I mean, that, I can't say blanket statement for all YouTubers, but, you know, they're not as heavily mm. curated. But I think there's a place for that as well. Mm. Like, I feel like we know them more because so much of it has been them, you know, filming inside their bedrooms, inside their homes. 100%. You know, sort of like chronicling their lives yeah. in, a way, in a way, whereas Instagram – I don't want this to be like beating up on Instagram. I actually love Instagram um, and I'm on it a lot, but I am trying to think about how I take a more measured approach yeah. with when I'm on it and when I am on there, why am I on there? Yeah. So I've got a little bit of purpose versus that sort of like hours of scrolling and then realizing, you know, I don't feel very good and I'm unsure about perhaps what I'm wearing or not wearing or yeah. decisions I've made or haven't but, made. But, but you, you like – I have found I probably about a year ago um, did an Instagram purge and I think we, I think we've actually talked about this before um, but I kind of made the decision that if I wouldn't let the accounts I was following, whether they be brands, people, whatever, if I wouldn't have them over for dinner in my apartment and feel comfortable with them in my space or if I wouldn't purchase a chair from that brand or if I, you know, 
if they didn't agree with me and my space and I felt comfortable having them here, then I wouldn't follow them on Instagram. Mm. And by doing that, it's it's very much helped me have a better experience. Um, I love that. It's like, would you let these people that you follow in your home? Yeah. And it's like, well, would you have dinner with them? Would you yeah. tell them your deep, dark secrets? And, and when I say like, you know, brands, because like I do follow some brands mm. and it's like, what, what are they, like, what is their purpose? Are they doing good things for the planet? Their own are value they, set. Yeah. Like yeah. what's their value set? What's their moral code? Is it aligned with my own? Mm. Would I let them in my apartment? Mm. Yes, I would. So I'll follow them. Um, I have a final question for you. Yes. So um, a big part of offline is this exploration of self and true self. And so when we take away the title, mm-hmm. all the followers, all the stuff, um, who are we? Like who is the woman sort of left standing behind? And again, it's broad and it's mm-hmm. been interesting to hear different um, personal definitions of it. Yeah. But when you're sitting in your true self, yeah. Who are you? Oh, God. <laughs> Depends what day it is. <laughs> okay, let me have a think. Um, I don't know. I'm just – I feel like I'm growing um, and evolving and I value my friends and family above all else. Um, and – I don't know. How do you answer this question? Well, I can leave it with you. <laughs> <It's a mull laughs> Might over. have to give you a soundbite. I don't know. No, well, I, I ask it um, in, all, in all honesty, not knowing uh, the definition of my own. Yeah. And so part of what's beautiful about talking to women like you is getting um, new perspective yeah. and understanding because – and like – I don't know if there is an answer also yeah. because without the labels, it's so hard I know, to even define. Even just as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, I'm an ENFP <laughs> and the Myers-Briggs test. But I don't know. I just think I'm a great friend. Um, I try my best to be a great daughter, a great sister, a good boss, a creative who like has a lust for, I don't know, beautiful things and like, saying stuff that matters and um living a life i'm proud of having my moral compass in check i don't know going to the beach (laughs) i think that all sounds pretty incredible actually uh well thank you for having me in your gorgeous little apartment in alphabet city i just can't believe you're here i know i'm in the flesh oh um but yeah thank you for joining me and sharing yeah your perspective and being so honest thank you for having me on your podcast australian oprah (laughs) (laughs) okay love (laughs) you thank you for joining us for this episode of offline visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes the online courses i've created to help you succeed consciously and upcoming community events follow getoffline.co on instagram and me My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them.